100%. Zero doubt in my mind. And it's something that we talk about. It's a question I asked when I interviewed for this job because it was important to me. Sun Valley is so special to the Holding family and, you know, really represents so much of what they believe in. And it's going to remain independent. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester, elevating the game today with a visit to one of America's finest ski resorts. First, to get the most out of this podcast and to get future podcast episodes the moment they drop, please pop over to stormskiing.com and sign up for the Storm Skiing newsletter. This is not your typical follow on iTunes podcast request because the storm is so much more than the podcast. The newsletter is deep analysis of the world of U.S. lift serve skiing delivered directly to your inbox all year long. And by the way, the pod drops via the newsletter several hours before it syncs to iTunes and Spotify and the other services. Stop getting your ski news from Facebook. Instead, join the thousands and thousands and thousands of email newsletter subscribers who are investing their time to support independent ski media. You can also follow The Storm on Instagram or Twitter at Storm Ski Journal. All right, I want to talk to you about a service I use every single day of the winter, Open Snow. I live within a five-hour drive of approximately 150 ski areas, and that means I have options. So when I plan my ski days, I want to know what's firing, and I want to know in advance. Can I get away with a two-hour run to the Catskills or the Poconos? Is Berkshire East the spot today? Or do I have to haul my butt out of bed at 4 a.m. to catch turns in northern Vermont or western New York? It's more that I can sort through myself, frankly. That's why I use Open Snow. Outlooks from multiple weather forecasting models, updated hourly, resort by resort snow outlooks, and one of my favorite features, frequent email updates focused on the region of your choice. For me, I rock the Mid-Atlantic, New England, and all US emails, but you can choose from more than two dozen daily snows focused on regions as varied as British Columbia, Colorado, Southern California, or Idaho, or on specific mega resorts such as Jackson Hole or Mammoth. And of course, you can tap into the Open Snow app at any time for real-time updates. Open Snow is now a storm partner, but I have used Open Snow for years and now you can too. Test drive Open Snow's best features with a free 60-day trial including 10-day snow forecasts for your favorite ski resorts, high-resolution weather maps, expert analysis, and much more by visiting opensnow.com backslash stormskiing. That's opensnow.com backslash stormskiing. All right, quick word about my OG sponsor, Mountain Gazette. What is Mountain Gazette? Well, it's a skiing magazine but it is also a climbing, backpacking, trekking, fishing, and running magazine, and it goes on, ranging widely in, over, and through the mountains and digging deeply into mountain subjects of all kinds. A given issue can cover everything from mountain play to mountain people, politics, culture, trends, travel, and the environment. 
There are also some subjects in Mountain Gazette's pages that defy categorization. There are more than a few surprises, news reviews, and many unusual side trips into the most remote corners of the world's highest places. All of them presented with a humor, freshness, vitality, and originality that have both won and lost the magazine friends, but rarely left readers feeling lukewarm about them. But don't take our word for it. Go to mountaingazette.com to lock in your subscription today. Mountain Gazette. When in doubt, go higher. Episode 101, Pete Sontag, Vice President and General Manager of Sun Valley, Idaho. Straight to the top today. One of everyone's favorite ski areas, one of the originals, one of the best in the game, Sun Valley, Idaho. There is plenty to talk about with Sun Valley. First, the resort, along with Sister Mountain Snow Basin, set off a Megapass earthquake in March when it bounced off the Epic Pass after a three-year partnership and joined the Icon Pass instead, and of course, returned to the Mountain Collective. Second, Sun Valley just announced a massive upgrade to what is already one of North America's most massive lifts, the Challenger High Speed Quad, which at 3,200 vertical feet claims the largest rise of any chairlift on the continent. Next year, that lift, installed in 1988, is coming down to make way for a D-line six-pack along the same line. Sun Valley will also remove the parallel Greyhawk lift, with a mid-station on Challenger, of course, and bring back a new, longer flying squirrel lift, this time as a high-speed quad that will go all the way to the Warm Springs base area. Finally, because everyone loves Sun Valley, Absolutely no one should be surprised to see this mountain land at the top of Ski Magazine's reader poll of top resorts in the West for the third consecutive year. Lots to get to, so let's do it. My guest today has been the Vice President and General Manager of Sun Valley, Idaho since 2021. Established in 1936, Sun Valley is the second oldest ski area in Idaho and was the site of the world's first chairlift. Sun Valley is made up of two separate ski areas, Bald Mountain and Dollar Mountain. Dollar Mountain is largely designed for beginners, while Bald Mountain is known for some of the best sustained cruising terrain in North America, with eight high-speed quads and an eight-passenger gondola serving 100 runs on a 3,400-foot vertical drop. Sun Valley is, along with sister resort Snow Basin, owned by the R. Earl Holding Company. Prior to taking the top job at Sun Valley, he spent time as the SVP and Chief Operating Officer of Vail Resort's Western Region, as the SVP and Chief Operating Officer at Whistler Blackcomb, and in various roles at Heavenly, Vail Mountain, Beaver Creek, Keystone, and Copper Mountain. Pete Sontag is my guest. Pete, welcome to the storm. So good to have you. How is your day going so far? Just getting going, but it's great to be here. Thanks, Stuart. So first of all, huge congratulations to you and the team on the big news this week that Ski Magazine is naming Sun Valley the top ski area in North America for the third consecutive year. Talk about that honor and what that means to Sun Valley. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, I am so honored to, along with, with the team, to you know be recognized by the readers of Ski Magazine as the 
the number one resort in North America. And as you know, there are a lot of fantastic resorts and, you know, to, to be called out and singled out as at the top is really, you know, it's, it's almost beyond words. Um, something we take a lot of pride in and, you know, our team, we're, we're going to announce it to our team this week and they're going to be, you know, over the moon. So we're going to get into what makes Sun Valley so special in a little bit. But first, I want to back up, Pete, and just talk about how you got where you got today. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up skiing? What was your first job in the ski industry? So I grew up in a town called Clifton Park, which is about uh, 20 minutes north of Albany, New York. So a little bit south of the, the Adirondacks. And I did grow up in a skiing family, uh, but my brother and sister are... 10 and eight years older than me respectively. And when they, when they moved on, um, it's kind of a lull. I, I have to say, I wasn't really into skiing as a kid. And even though it was something that our family did, and it really wasn't until, uh, I, I did one year of college needed a break. My dad said, uh, why don't you go move out and live with your brother and who was living out in the Vail, Colorado area at the time. And I took his advice. And really, that was what kind of set me on this path that I never knew exactly where it was going to take me next. But I knew that I loved being in the big mountains out west and I loved being part of the ski industry and, and really have never looked back. So what was your first job? Was it at Vail Mountain? Uh, it was actually. It was uh, working in a rental shop in uh, what was then the Marriott Hotel. And <laughs> I did that for three years. I was working at the Beaver Creek Golf Course in the summers on the grounds crew. Uh, ultimately, I did end up going back to school. I moved all the way back east and attended University of Albany. And it was during that time, actually, that I took a part-time job teaching skiing at West Mountain in Glens Falls, New York. And I've, I fell in love with, with ski teaching. Uh, even at a little place like West, um, you know, the impact that I saw that I could have on, on people and to, to share my love for the sport, to see the light bulb go off for them was really, you know, so gratifying for me and something I knew I wanted to pursue after I got my degree. So after you got that degree, made your way back west, where was your first job when you got back out there? Went back to Beaver Creek and started teaching skiing full time there. Uh, met my future wife there. Um, just really pursued it as what I thought at the time was going to be, you know, my lifelong profession. And ultimately, over the years, I've, I was quite successful at it. But you know, I felt like, man, there's probably something more that I could do. I don't know exactly what it is, but I made the decision, uh, along with my wife's support, to uh, pursue my MBA. And we've we've picked picked up our our stuff and and moved back to to the East Coast. I went to the University of Vermont for two years full time, got my MBA, and and it was really during that time where you know I could have made that transition to normal life. And I think being back there and, and really not being able to ski much during those couple of years because I was so busy just really cemented for me the, you know, the need to, to move back out west and, and continue to pursue this, but more in a, a management capacity. And where did you land when you got back out west? Back to Beaver Creek. So started as a <laughs> ski school supervisor uh -huh. and pretty quickly, um, you know, I think my second year I was the adult general manager. Uh, and then a couple of years after that, I had my opportunity to, to be a ski school director for the first time and, and moved over to Copper Mountain to do that. So take us through the progression here. You, you worked at a lot of really iconic resorts. 
from copper, you jumped back to Vail Resorts. So, so tell us about that transition and, and why you decided to stick with Vail. Yeah, I mean, it was a combination of, of several factors. Uh, one, I was being recruited to go back, uh, which always feels good. And yeah, there was a lot going on at Copper at the time and, and maybe felt like this was, a, you know, the right time for me to, to make this change. And, and the school at Keystone was a little bit bigger. Uh, so to take on more responsibility and, um, and go back to the, the company that I'd really enjoyed working with was just felt like the right thing to do. And, and as it turns out, it was uh, no regrets at all. So to set this up for the listeners, this transition from Copper back to Keystone, uh, according to my uh, research of your LinkedIn profile was in 2005. At the time, Vail Resorts was not what Vail Resorts is today. They just had a handful of resorts, the four in Colorado plus Heavenly. But you were there for the next at least dozen years. What was it like being at Vail Resorts during that time of rapid expansion and the transition to the Epic Pass and watching Vail go from another regional ski company to the dominant ski company on the continent? Yeah, it was quite a ride and, you know, could, could not have anticipated certainly from, you know, where I was sitting, how, where it would lead to and, and the reach that the, the company would ultimately achieve. I was always focused on, you know, doing the best I could in the job that I was in, but certainly there were a lot of other things going on in, in our company and lots of announcements, you know, big announcements over the years about, um, you know, the next resort to be added to the portfolio. And, and it was, it made for an exciting time. And, and when we would gather in the fall at, at the leadership summit at Keystone, you know, each year that, that group became bigger and the room was, was filled, you know, more to capacity. And, and it was, it was quite something to, uh, to be involved with. So Vail made a lot of acquisitions. It seemed like just about every year they bought something. A couple of them were really seismic. Park City in 2015 and then Whistler in 2016. What was your reaction when you found out that Vail was buying Whistler? And then what took you there in 2017? Yeah, Whistler, you know, was and remains one of my very favorite ski resorts. I just, you know, can't say enough good things about the, the mountains, the village, the team that runs the place. And, it, you know, so I was certainly excited as, as, you know, to bring Whistler Black home into the company. I was certainly not looking at, at moving my family or anything like that. But that opportunity came up and I was asked to go lead that resort. And, and I think it was a combination of, you know, I'd, I had done well in my role at Heavenly and, and then overseeing the Tahoe resorts, uh, North Star and Kirkwood as well. And then, you know, ironically, my, my kids were all really into hockey and our oldest daughter was attending a hockey academy in Kelowna, British Columbia at the time. And so, you know, we had some connection with Canada already. And so when that opportunity came up, it's one of those that you don't say no to and, and really tried to embrace it. And, and we moved up there and um, only stayed for a couple of years, but uh, it was two amazing, challenging, but really amazing years. So Whistler is a world unto itself, and Vail is obviously a, a very big, opinionated company about the way that it's going to run its mountains. Talk about being at Whistler during that transition of absorbing Whistler into the Vail portfolio. What went well, and where did you run into challenges? Yeah, I mean, change is hard. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's small scale or big scale. Change just 
you know, it's, it, uh, it comes with a lot of challenges. And so, you know, I knew that going in and I was going to be the face of, of the company going into that role. And, and I felt like I was ready for it. And so, you know, was I perfect in that? No. Um, but I think that, you know, what I tried to do and what I've tried to do at every stop along my career is, is to really listen first, get to know the people, get to understand why it is the way it is, what they do well, what the opportunities are, and, you know, really try to build trust and, and partnership. And, and I feel like I was able to do that with, with the team there. And, you know, that, that team is, uh, they're a bunch of very special people and, and I stay in touch with, with a lot of them. So being up at Whistler, obviously at this point, you had a couple of decades working at some of the most iconic ski resorts in the United States. How was working at Whistler? How was the culture up there different from what you encountered in Summit County or Heavenly or in Eagle County of Beaver Creek? I think the biggest thing and, and so important to know is even though they speak the same language we do, it's a different country and there are a lot of customs and norms that are different that need to be recognized and um, and for us to really embrace. And I think, you know, we were probably a little bit slow to do that. And and I think that's, you know, there's been learning along the way and that's less of an issue now. But um, that was really, you know, where I started. And and I'll say today we're recording this on Canadian Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to, to everybody up in Canada today. What are some of those norms that in, in cultural differences that you had to adjust to? Uh, the holidays are one that the holidays don't all fall on the same day that um, they're not all called the same thing. And I, I think you start there, the language that's used, the way certain words are spelled in, you know, written communication, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a lot of little things more than any one big thing and the details matter. So it sounds like you had a good two years up there, Pete, and then ultimately came back to Vail's West region in 2019. What pulled you back to the States? You know, the, the company uh, made the acquisition of Peak Resorts, and that really changed the dynamic of, of the company significantly to the point where it made sense to kind of regionalize uh, the oversight and uh, structure of the mountain division. And so I was asked to lead the Western region because I had so much experience in it. And, you know, as much as I felt like I've had unfinished business at Whistler Blackcomb, um, again, it was it was an opportunity I felt like I had to to pursue. And, and so packed up and moved my family once again. And I just want to give a shout out to my family who have been, you know, unbelievably supportive and understanding as we've packed up and moved so many times, you know, never by design, never thought we would do this. But they've been they've been amazing. Well, the moving continued last year when you took the general manager job at Sun Valley. How did that opportunity come up, Pete, and what made that appeal to you? Yeah, so it, as it turns out, the corporate life wasn't for me. And mm -hmm. and so, you know, I ended up parting ways with, with Vail Resorts. And fortunately, at about the same time, uh, Sun Valley was looking for the next general manager to replace Tim Silva. And I got connected with them and it was really, it was a lot of factors, but I think first and foremost, uh, 
I, I realize what I'm good at and, and what I love to do. And that's be at a mountain, be able to get out and, you know, be side by side with our guests and our employees, uh, really connect with, with the staff. And those were things that I couldn't do in my previous role and was never going to be able to do. And so to be able to, to come back to a resort and lead a resort, uh, and then have it be one as iconic as Sun Valley just felt amazing. But to top it off, you know, the, the interview process, uh, first with, with my boss, CEO of Grand America Hotels and Resorts, Bruce Ferry, and then ultimately meeting with Stephen and Carol Holding. You know, those, those are meetings that I will never forget uh, because they were so different than any other interviews I've ever been involved with. And it was so much more about my family and values and, you know, what's important to me uh, and much less about the technical aspects of the job. And <laughs> it was it was refreshing, I got to say. And and now, you know, now that I've lived it for almost a year and a half, it's exactly what I needed. Might not have realized it at the time, but uh, coming here has been, you know, unbelievable for me and, you know, for my well-being and, and being able to do what I truly love to do. So you said the word iconic, Pete, and I think that's the way a lot of people would describe Sun Valley. And, and it's interesting because if you look at Sun Valley, it doesn't get a ton of snow, like say a Jackson Hole or Snowbird or something like that. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a little bit hard to get to. It's, it's sort of in the middle of Idaho outside of the main ski clusters around Tahoe and Salt Lake and I-70 and all these. But it's always, as we said, reader choice, top ski resort in North America for the third year in a row. What makes Sun Valley so special? And you have better context than anyone here because you've worked at Whistler and Beaver Creek and Copper Mountain and all of these great places. So, so what makes Sun Valley singular and special, even among this elite group of resorts? Yeah, it's, it is a, it's a great question and it can be really hard to articulate. And as a matter of fact, you know, we're in the process of, of a brand doing a branding exercise right now. And this word magical comes up all the time and it comes up, when we talk with guests, when we talk with staff and people say magical because they can't think of the other words <laughs> that they would use to describe it. It's just, it's crazy. So it's a little more out of the way. You got to want to come here to be here. And so those are the people who are here. It's less crowded. And, you know, the impact that that has on every other element of the guest experience is massive. And so you, you come here and you feel like you're, you're off the grid a little bit. We have, you know, we provide this amazing experience. We have beautiful lodges, great hotels, impeccable groom surface, uh, great food, you know, kind of all the elements are there. And that's, that's one thing, but I think it's, there's just something about the vibe, which is created by the people and that it's kind of it's in concert with the community. And I think when a guest comes here, they really feel that, you know, no differentiation between the service they get at the resort and what they're going to get in town. And it just it's kind of this all encompassing feels good everywhere you go. Um, and as I said, as you can tell, I'm, I struggle to find the word sometimes, too, but yeah, there's there's nothing like it here. 
I think a lot of people would credit the longtime owners, the holding family with maintaining that atmosphere and, and that independent spirit and that, that special, unique vibe that you're describing. You know, there was a lot of fear among skiers when Sun Valley and Snow Basin joined the Epic Pass, that that was some kind of a prelude for an acquisition by Vail Resorts. But it, it seems as though if the holdings wanted to sell Sun Valley or Snow Basin, they could do so at any time and, and name their price. Being there now for a year, do you get the sense that they're committed as long-term owners to keeping Sun Valley and Snow Basin as independent ski areas? 100%. Zero doubt in my mind. And it's something that we talk about. It's a question I asked when I interviewed for this job because it was important to me. And I've had no evidence whatsoever that um, anything else is being contemplated. I mean, Sun Valley is so special to the holding family and, you know, really represents so much of, of, you know, what they believe in. And that's part of what makes it so cool. And, and no, it's, it's going to remain independent. So you've been inside the machine, you've been inside Vail when they had 37 ski areas all across the world. Having that context, why do you think it's important, Pete, that there are still large independent ski areas in the United States, even as Vail and Altera and Powder and Boyne continue to buy more large ski resorts? Why do we still need these big independents? Yeah, I mean, I, I think all of it is is important and valuable. So I think having strong companies who can really uh, have the financial wherewithal to, to support, you know, all the resorts in their por- portfolio is important and and there's value there. But I think there's a, you know, there's a there's a different element that the independents can bring to a guest experience. And, you know, you feel it when you come here, as I described a lot of those things. Um, the focus can be different. We can do it in a way that makes sense for us and not have to worry about doing it in a way that has to be done the same way across, you know, multiple other resorts. Um, we, can, we can fix things the way they need to be fixed here. And, um, and I think that, you know, our guests appreciate that, that we've identified what, what the issues are and we've solved them for them here. Um, and so I think, again, I think they're both important. They both play a role um, in the vitality of, of the ski business. Sun Valley is, as I said, one of two resorts at the Holding Zone. So it is a little mini, I guess you couldn't use the word conglomerate, but they are sister resorts. Talk about your relationship with Snow Basin which sits about four hours south and, and your season pass holders actually get unlimited access to Snow Basin. So talk about your working relationship with your sister ski resort. Yeah, we have a great relationship with Snow Basin. And I, I think the way our company is set up is, you know, we'll, we will absolutely capitalize on best practices and shared systems where it makes sense. And it does in a lot of areas, but where it makes sense for us to handle an issue or a challenge you know, specific to where we are and the employee base that we have, we have the freedom to do that. So, you know, we have a lot of visibility into what each other's doing. We share everything, um, no secrets, and and our teams work really well collaborating together. And we'll share staff from time to time as well. But, you know, this ability to not be forced into doing things exactly the same way really gives us the freedom to create a great experience at both resorts. 
And did you have any issues with staffing last year? We a little, not as much as I was concerned that we would. So my first summer, summer of 21, we were very challenged with staffing. Um, and when we, when we went into winter of 22, we were very successful with our uh, J1s and uh, student visas. And we're really, overall, we, our staffing was, was good. And no compromise in operations, didn't have to shut things down. We're really happy with how things turned out. And this summer has been good as well. And we're optimistic this winter will, will also be good. All right, let's talk about the mountain here, starting with the master plan. Sun Valley's current master plan dates to 2005, and I imagine a lot of that is still relevant. But when can we expect an updated master plan, and how are you approaching that process philosophically? Yeah, so our we do have an updated master plan. So it was updated in 2020, and uh, it has you know all of the current thinking and actually you know what um, the big project that we're that we've announced for summer of 2023 is reflected in in the updated master plan. So, you know, it's it's a it's a very good document it was certainly helpful for me as I came on here to to see what the thinking is around what we can do to improve the experience on the mountain and really stay relevant as we go into the future. So, lay the master plan out for us. The the first big piece of it is the new Challenger lift coming online next year along with the new flying squirrel and we'll touch on that specifically in a moment but but broadly, just lay out the master plan for us and, and how this will transform Sun Valley. Yeah, so I think, you know, the master plan is, is a set of ideas that could be implemented and doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be implemented. What we have committed to is, uh, and, and Challenger and Greyhawk will be the first piece of this, is we do have some uh, dated lift infrastructure, so well-maintained, still run great, but over time, parts become harder to get. And, you know, having mechanic experience, who know how to, to work on some of that older equipment gets a little bit more challenging, especially with the detachables. So we, we have seven uh, Jan Doppelmeyer high-speed lifts here. And Challenger and Greyhawk are, are the first two that we're going to replace. But our goal is to replace all seven of those in the coming years. Okay, quick break, then back to Pete and Sun Valley. I've got an awesome deal for you. Snowbound Expo is coming. After two years dormant, the former Boston Ski Show has been purchased by Raccoon Events and renamed Snowbound Expo. The show will offer a huge speaker lineup that includes Bode Miller, Conrad Anker, Dan Egan, Vasu Sujitra, Danny Reyes Acosta, Lindsay Fixmer, and more. You will also find sales on the latest gear, apparel, and resort passes. And you can try a dry ski slope and kick back with friends at the Opry Ski Mountain Bar. The show is November 18th to 20th at Boston Heinz Convention Center. Tickets are normally $15 per day, but Snowbound Expo is offering Storm listeners free tickets for the entire weekend. To claim your tickets, visit snowboundexpo.com and use Storm at checkout. I will be there doing a live podcast, and I hope to meet you in person. So let's talk about Greyhawk and Challenger first. Lay this project out for us. This is Challenger is a absolutely monster lift, and it runs parallel to Greyhawk. So 
set this up for us. What are you taking down and what's coming up in this place? Yeah, you're right. Challenger is a beast and it's uh, one of the most iconic lifts, I think, in all of skiing. And so we wanted to make sure we've, we did this right. And what we feel like is, so just to set the stage, Challenger runs from the bottom of Warm Springs to the top of the mountain. Um, right next to it and running parallel to it is Greyhawk. Greyhawk is also a high-speed detachable quad. goes about halfway up and services what we call the Greyhawk terrain, but a bunch of really, really good lower mountain terrain, uh, very popular with uh, the Sun Valley uh, Ski Education Foundation for training and for races and actually for um, higher end races as well, including the the U.S. Nationals. So um, what we felt like was as great as these lifts have been, what we are hamstrung a bit by is we only have one lift that can get you to the other side of the mountain. And if that lift goes down for any reason, mechanical, weather, um, we're then calling buses to transport people from uh, from Warm Springs back over to River Run. So we knew that if we were able to build another lift that that provided access to the other side of the mountain, uh, that would be preferable. And so that's what has been envisioned here. So actually we're uh, removing Challenger and Greyhawk, replacing both of those with one new uh, Doppelmeyer high-speed six-pack with a mid-unload where the Greyhawk unload was. And then we're building a second lift, starts at the bottom and goes up to the top of the former Flying Squirrel. So now you have two lifts that provide access to the rest of the mountain. So we've got that redundancy, which we feel is really important. And then the other thing is, you know, we, we've decided to extend a run called Squirrel Run. And, and so with that Flying Squirrel lift replacement, you're going to have um, you're going to have your own kind of circulation pod over there, which is a bit underutilized terrain right now. And we think that's going to be pretty popular. So you're going with the so Challenger, by the way, for the listeners who aren't aware of this, is the highest vertical rise of any chairlift in North America from top to bottom. So you're putting in a mid station. Did you consider splitting that and just having two separate six packs so folks could just get off and and then get on the other one? Or why did one lift make sense instead of two? Yeah, we only have room to at the bottom for two uh, base stations. So we there's there's not enough room to put a third lift down there. So it's really a decision about, you know, do we want this other lift that'll uh, help people gain access to the rest of the mountain. And we felt like that was really important. And the technology, you know, with the new uh, Doppelmeyer lifts, um, this is a D-line lift. So high, super high speed. And really, I think, you know, it's going to be an improvement all around. And I think um, the mid-station will, will absolutely serve the purpose of, of you know, what Greyhawk uh, lift was serving previously. Will the mid-station be unload only or will you be able to load there as well? Unload only. Current Challenger ride time is around nine minutes. Will the new lift be faster or will that mid-station mitigate a little bit of that D-line speed? Yeah, the, the current ride time for Challenger is actually probably closer to 13 to 14 oh, wow. minutes. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you're covering a lot of ground there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new one runs, uh, as I said, it'll run at a faster speed, so six meters per second. And even with the slowdown and acceleration at the mid-station, 
uh, this will be a eight and change minute ride bottom to top. That's incredible. And then at the bottom, you're adding a little connector trail down to the Warm Springs parking lot. Just talk about what problem that solves for you. Yeah, so we have to do some grading. The, these lifts take up a little more room at the at the base station uh, than the, the ones they're replacing. And so we want to make sure that we've got good access to the parking area. So as part of that grading, we've, we're going to shape a, a new little mini run, and that'll feed people down into the parking area. So you refer to the old Flying Squirrel lift. That lift was destroyed in a 2014 fire. Was it always the intention to bring Flying Squirrel back? Just talk about how those conversations evolved as you unlocked this puzzle of how to give an alternate way to the other side of the mountain and how you ultimately decided that flying squirrel and bringing that lift back in a, a lengthened version was the best way to do that. Yeah, we've, you know, that there was, I, I arrived after the master plan was, was put together, but certainly, and, and not having skied here before I took the job, uh, I will admit that. Um, so I had a lot of questions about, is this the right alignment? Is this the right solution? And, and then, you know, getting my first winter to ski a lot and ski and when it's busy, when it's quiet on all different kinds of conditions and kind of understanding the thinking around that replacement. Um, and over time it, it made more and more sense to me to the point where I was like, yeah, of course, this is the, this is the right answer for this. Um, cause the previous flying squirrel did not start at the bottom. It was a ways up the mountain and really it was, you know, part of a different network. So we're, you know, we get to kind of redo the, the network on the warm spring side to what we feel like is, is, you know, most valuable to our guests. Are you going D line on flying squirrel or just on challenger? Just challenger. And what went into that decision to go D line on one and not the other? Yeah, I mean, it's um, there's a financial aspect, no question about it. And I think, you know, we've got what's called the Unigy on Broadway over on the other side of the mountain. That is a relatively new installation. Very, very happy with that lift and feel like, the you know, the utilization will be similar. So it, it made sense. You know, we've we've got between the two lifts. We think we've got a great solution. So looking around the mountain, well, once you put in Flying Squirrel, that will leave you with two fixed grip lifts. You'll have Mayday and Lookout. Those are both triple chairs that date to the 70s. Long term, is the era of fixed grip lifts winding down at Bald Mountain? Are there plans to replace those old triples and upgrade them to high speed detachables at some point? Not at this time. So I, I would say both of those lifts are that they'll be replaced one day, but they're not of the same priority as the other lifts. And they've served their purpose really, really well. Um, both unique lifts, both kind of help us uh, get people in and around the, the bowls. And, you know, that some days they get a lot of usage and some days they don't get much and they, they work just fine and, and no reason to, to make any change immediately. And do you hear anything from your skiers because their expectation at this point skiing around the mountain is, oh, this is Sun Valley. It, it's fancy. You have high speed lifts. Do you hear any grumbling about that or, or, or do you find that your skiers appreciate that slower pace at times? Yeah, I, I think it's a mix. I think everybody's got their own opinion about things like that. I, I would say most people have an appreciation for those lifts and what they do. And of course, 
you know, when you're talking about bowls, you're talking about powder skiing and how quickly you can get tracked out. And there's something to the fixed grip that is still really valuable that people have to earn it a little bit, doesn't get tracked up so quickly. And, um, yeah, a little bit of a throwback to the, the good old days. So looking at the remainder of your lift fleet, Christmas debuted the same year as Greyhawk and Challenger. Is Christmas the next high-speed lift in line for an upgrade after you get done with this project next year? Yeah, we're, we're kind of working that through right now. Like, what's the, what's the right sequence for us? How does it all fit in our overall capital structure as a company, not just Sun Valley? So that, that's something we'll, we're kind of, you know, focusing on Challenger and Greyhawk right now, but pretty quickly we will uh, have to make a decision on what comes next and we will announce that. But yeah, I mean, Christmas will certainly be a, a priority, whether it's next year or the year after, I, I can't say quite yet. Do you think that there's anywhere else on the mountain that a six pack would make sense? You have a lot of high speed quads right now, but this six pack at challenger will be your first and obviously you also have the a passenger gondola but is there anywhere else that a six place chair or maybe even an eight place chair would make sense on sun valley yeah i don't think we need a an eight pack uh but six packs do make sense in in several areas i think not for all those replacements but but several i think it's it certainly makes sense if you're going to you know go to the trouble of upgrading the lift that you make sure that the capacity feels right for, you know, what you expect over time, knowing that you're going to have that lift for 30 or 40 years. And where do you think it makes the most sense? Like a base area run, like River Run? River Run would make sense. Seattle Ridge would make sense. Christmas would make sense. Lookout Express might make sense. So, yeah, I, I think it probably makes sense in several spots. Anything else on your Bald Mountain wish list aside from those projects we discussed? Yeah, I mean, I think we've, you know, we we have the Roundhouse, which is, you know, just this amazing, iconic um, building. And we need to continue to give it love, which which we're committed to doing. So that will, you know, we'll, that's one we just know we'll continue to invest in and, and keep it special, but keep it relevant and and up to date as well and then i think you know there's always a question about lookout lodge at the top of the mountain and i would see that you know being talked about over time uh for a, a probably a new lodge at some point um and then beyond that I, I honestly think you know our continued investment in snowmaking is what has separated us for so long and and so we need, you know, we'll just continue to, to make that investment and, and make sure that we're staying ahead of the game. All right, let's move over to Dollar here. The most obvious candidate for an upgrade from my point of view, as far as lifts go, would be the 50-year-old Elkhorn Triple. Any intentions of replacing Elkhorn, or have you thought about that or discussed that in the near future? Yeah, it, no, no immediate plans. Uh, again, I, I would say, yeah, someday would make sense to do, but... To be honest, that that's a part of the mountain that is south facing, doesn't have snowmaking, uh, is difficult to to hold snow on, and and so you know we don't run that lift frequently. Um, so no, it's it's probably not on the list at this point. So you just mentioned snowmaking and the importance of that. Is the it sounds like if you were going to upgrade that lift, you would need a really big snowmaking project. 
there first. What are your long-term thinking around snowmaking for Dollar Mountain and building out that system? Yeah, I think we're better served to focus on the other side of the mountain, the main part of the mountain, and continue to upgrade the equipment. Um, you know, we're, we're automated there, but with, with some equipment that's it's ready to be uh, replaced. And, so, and that's really, you know, needs to be our focus. We're always striving for efficiency and the technology continues to improve year after year. So, you know, what was great 20, 25 years ago is, is not as good as what's out there right now. Looking at that side of Dollar Mountain, any priorities for lift upgrades or replacements over there? Or are you pretty happy with the fleet that you have? I think we're in pretty good shape on Dollar, honestly. For uh, for the volume we see there, we can handle it quite nicely with what we have. All right. So the last big lift project that has been tossed back and forth over the years is that gondola network that would have linked the two ski areas and the village. Right now, driving between them can be rather congested at times. You told Boise Dev earlier this year that you were, quote, looking at everything with fresh eyes, end quote, but that it was too soon to say what the fate of this interconnect gondola would be. What are your current thoughts six months down the line here, Pete, on that interconnect gondola? Still too early to <laughs> have a strong point of view on that. I think that is a, maybe it makes sense one day, but not not immediately in front of us right now. All right. I want to go back to snowmaking here for a moment. Uh, going back to Bald Mountain, as I mentioned earlier, Sun Valley doesn't get the snowfall that a lot of Western ski areas do. And that makes the mountain a little more reliant on snowmaking than some of your peers. Talk about that. And, and especially since you have the context of having worked at a place like Beaver Creek, where you get 350 inches of snow a year, what is the extent of Sun Valley's snowmaking system on Bald Mountain, and how are you you going to look to evolve that into the future? Yeah, we're we're pretty blessed here. The company made a huge investment in snowmaking, you know, many many years ago, and also made a commitment to stay up to date with everything we have. And so we've done that, and we've probably spend more on equipment than most ski resorts do on an annual basis. But that allows us to be incredibly efficient with what we have. Um, we can cover almost the entire mountain with snowmaking and, and it's all automated. So we don't need a huge crew. We're not, you know, putting uh, snowmakers in danger, running up and down uh, in snowmobiles from gun to gun. Uh, we really are able to run an extremely efficient and effective operation. And, you know, we're going to continue to, to lean in on that because that is our bread and butter. What does that snowmaking firepower look like? How many guns do you have on the mountain? Yeah, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but it's, uh, it's a huge number. And, um, yeah, they're, they're all over and, and really, um, yeah, the investment's been amazing over, over many, many years. So what does Sun Valley's water supply look like, Pete? Are you restricted at all? Do you have it there? Is it just a matter of figuring out a way to get out of the ground? Or are you facing some of these water issues that we're seeing throughout the West? Yeah, we're, we're in the same situation as a lot of Western resorts where water is a scarce resource and a lot of competition for it. Uh, we take our water out of the Bigwood River for River Run and Warm Springs Creek for Warm Springs pretty reliable sources of, of water. Um, 
but nonetheless, you know, our, our strive for efficiency, um, you know, can, can never stop, uh, because certainly there are competing interests and, and we want to make sure that we're, we're doing right by, by the community and, and all the, you know, stakeholders in the water situation, uh, which we think we are, but, but we're going to continue to, to, um, to lean into efficiency as, as we can. And also, you know, as, as the industry, you know, knows to make sure that we're educating on the non-consumptive nature of snowmaking. Well, Sun Valley does get enough snow to support some really big glade areas, including the Sunrise expansion that you recently brought online. Talk about that expansion. I, I appreciate that this happened before you arrived as far as the planning part of it goes, but why did Sun Valley decide to expand into Sunrise and how has it changed the experience of skiing at Sun Valley? Yeah, I can, I can speak from experience last year when we got into a pretty significant storm cycle in you know mid-December through the holidays. Uh, I got into that terrain and it was, it's awesome. And I think, you know, the, the idea was a couple of things. First, um, to really, you know, as, as we have to just this legendary cruising terrain and, and you know, steep cruising terrain, um, but maybe missing a little bit of the off-piste other than the bowls. And this gives us that. It's steep, it's fun, it's gladed. Uh, there's a lot of variability in there. Uh, really just gives a different element to the ski experience for advanced and expert skiers and riders. Um, it also allowed us to lengthen um, the Broadway run. And, and that is actually prime beginner terrain. So um, for our ski, ski and snowboard school guests, uh, we're able to give them a little bit more. Bald Mountain can be a, a challenging mountain for lower levels. And this gives us a, you know, a, a really nice circuit that folks can do with their instructors. Um, so it really helped in, in that sense. And then, you know, this, it just continual glading work and forest health work. This fits right in with, with what we're doing on other parts of the mountain as well. You've discussed in the past that this actually helped to reduce fire risk. What did you mean by that? Anywhere that we can, you know, thin out old, dead and dying uh, trees is going to be helpful for mitigating the fire risk. So we, we've actually been in partnership with the National Forest Foundation over a period of years now to selectively thin areas of the mountain, you know, where we have this. Um, this allowed us to accelerate that that process a bit and, and you know, get into another part of the mountain that we thought was important to get into as well. So talk about that process. Are, do you, this is a pretty big area, a, you know, several hundred acres of terrain over on Sunrise. Did you actually go through, did the crews actually go through and thin that entire area? Do they do a, a different square of it each year? How do you approach that? Because that's a really big chunk of mountain. Yeah, way too much for us to, to handle in one year. And so it was really just, you know, creating the primary glade area, run called the glades, um, that would provide the, you know, the access down to the bottom of the lift. And so it's a lot of terrain, but there's a lot more that we could do and, and hope to do over the coming years. So you mentioned the lengthened Broadway run, and that was enabled by this new longer Broadway high-speed quad, which replaced an old double called Cold Springs. How happy are you with that new lift setup and the way that that expanded the mountain? Yeah, so what we were able to do was move the, the 
bottom station of that further down the, the, you know, valley or the canyon. And, and it's just a really nice, gentle grade uh, through that valley. Um, so we just, we were able to, to make it significantly longer by, by moving the station down there. And the return is, the lift is awesome. Um, it, it also, last year when we really got hammered with snow, people were skiing some parts of the mountain that, that they don't get to ski very often. And it was nice. really, it was a treat for them. As you look at your permit area, are there other places where you could expand terrain at Sun Valley? Is there any expansion potential? Uh, not at this time. I think there are some, I mean, there are some small things that we could do. I think what you're going to see is our focus on, you know, continuing to thin where it makes sense, which creates glading opportunities. So, you know, we've done another 70 or so acres this summer. And every time we do that, you know, assuming that snow conditions are right, those are areas that people can get into and, and ski and ride. And, and the areas that we've done are absolutely fantastic. And so that's really more where the focus is going to be. The tree skiing is great, and I'm a fan of it myself. Most folks, I think, come to Sun Valley for the grooming, and you've mentioned that several times. Talk about the process of grooming out this giant mountain every night. What does your cat fleet look, look like? How many do you have? And just talk about the team and how good they are at what they do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's snowmaking and grooming go hand in hand, of course. And, you know, we've got um, – yeah, without getting into specifics, we've got a, a pretty good sized fleet and run two shifts like most ski resorts do. Um, bunch of winch cats. There's a lot of stuff that, that can't be free groomed because it's too steep. But um, as you say, experience matters. And, you know, we're grateful for the, the experience that we have on the team. And, um, you know, and we've we've brought some new folks in um, and really trying to take the time to get them trained up. Um, be patient with them while they learn and, and find their way around the mountain. But we cover a lot of terrain and uh, every single night. And I think, you know, we're able to, for a couple of reasons, we've got, as you know, I mean, it's a, the, the nature of the surface uh, that the snow falls on is, is very conducive. We don't need a lot of snow to be able to, uh, to ski and, and then, uh, you know, the drier snow that we get to work with grooms out really nicely as well. So we have a lot of things working in our favor for, for a great groom surface. And the nice thing about being kind of remote is that that corduroy stays corduroy for a good chunk of the day. The downside of being remote, well, one of them, Pete, is employee housing and the challenges around that. Sun Valley has been a leader in this area, I think out of necessity. What does your current network of employee housing look like and how are you looking to evolve that network in the future? Yeah, we're, man, it's, it's a challenge and I, I feel like we're better off than most for sure. You know, we can house uh, a third of our peak staff in employee housing and that's a great start, but, you know, we're realizing as you know, the forces have really changed things in mountain communities that there's kind of less out in the community than there used to be. So as, as good as it is, we're actually realizing, you know, we, we probably have to do more and, and that may be, we're talking about potentially building an, another building. And, and it's really more, I think the, 
you know, frontline staff, we feel like we're pretty well covered. Um, experienced staff, we're okay. And it's really as you get into new managers, supervisors, uh, people who, you know, they don't want to live with others, right? rightly so. Um, there's, that's where the gap is. And, and that's something specifically that we're, we're trying to take a look at in, in potentially, you know, another building. And what are your best ideas so far? Is it uh, market rate apartments? What do you have in mind there? Well, I mean, we're, we're blessed with a lot of land here at Sun Valley that we own. And, you know, we have the ability to continue to build uh, directly adjacent to the employee housing we already have. So it's, it is possible that we would get into, um, you know, some, some, uh, market rate adjusted type of scenario, but, you know, more likely we're, we'll probably just build something and, and price it, you know, what we feel is fairly for uh, the employees that we, we have in there. And, you know, we, we have the luxury of being able to, to do it ourselves. Um, so that's really where we're focused right now. In the meantime, we're, you know, we're certainly participating in everything that is going on in the community and the housing task force forces and, and all of that. There's a lot of effort happening in and around uh, Sun Valley, Ketchum, Haley, you know, Blaine County overall. And, and we're making sure we're at the table on all of those discussions. All right, let's shift focus here to the Epic and Icon passes. In March, Sun Valley and Snow Basin announced that they would be leaving the Epic Pass after three years and joining the Icon Pass for the 2022 to 23 ski season. Would also be going back to the Mountain Collective, which the Mountain was a part of for a number of years. Take us into this decision, Pete. Why did Sun Valley leave the Epic Pass for the Icon and Mountain Collective passes? Yeah, I think I would start off by saying our three-year run with Epic was really, really good. And it brought guests to Sun Valley who have never been here before. I mean, that I think we really proved out the value of these multi-resort passes and these partner passes. Um, it's people, you know, they've, they want to, they aspire to, to go other places. And when their pass allows them to do that, that sometimes is the impetus. That's all they need to, to make that decision to do it. So as successful as that was, you know, we looked at Icon and, and thought, well, here's an opportunity to uh, introduce ourselves to a whole new group of guests. And, you know, why would we not take advantage of that? Because, you know, out of, we, we're hoping to convert, obviously, a few of these folks to be Sun Valley regulars. And so now we have the opportunity to do that again with ICON and, and we're, we're grateful for the relationship with, with Epic and we're really excited about our, our new relationship with ICON. Um, and that extends to Mountain Collective as well, where, you know, this very unique uh, group of resorts have banded together to to create this really unique product and and it's like the ultimate sampler pass and i think the you know the thing that when you look at our geography and what we're close to um you know four hours from jackson five hours four and a half hours from big sky uh, just as a couple examples and and then four and a half hours from all the salt lake resorts you know this intermountain region is is really exciting and a great opportunity for us to, you know, kind of be in the mix with these other resorts. And, and so we're very hopeful that folks will, you know, buy one of these passes and, 
and do a trip to Snow Basin and do a trip to Sun Valley along with, with the other resorts that they hope to visit. So for the 2021 to 22 ski season, Vail did sell a record number of Epic passes, 2.1 million. That number is set to, is on pace to increase for the 2022 to 23 ski season. There were some pretty well-documented instances of crowding and lift line management at Vail Resorts last year. Did any of this, the volume of passes sold or these crowding issues or some of the other headlines that were not favorable to Vail, did any of that play a part in you not re-signing with Epic Pass? No, it, none of it. It really, it, it, it didn't affect us at all. I mean, it, again, as we've talked about, a little harder to get to. You got to want it a little bit more to come here. And so, no, we've, we were very manageable, was good for our business, but not at a level we couldn't handle in any way. I hosted Colorado Sun reporter Jason Blevins on the podcast a week or two ago, and he said, you know, I asked him about this, about why he thought Sun Valley and Snow Basin switched from Epic to Icon, and he said, you know, there's a, there's a chance that whenever Sun Valley's Icon Pass partnership is up, they'll sit back and say, okay, which one do we like better? Do you see it that way? Do you see this as, as a trial period, and there is a world in the future where Sun Valley could be on the Epic Pass again? I think, you know, I'm, I'm focused on doing a great job of being a great partner with, with Icon right now. And really, you know, not, <laughs> we haven't even had our first scan of an Icon pass here yet. So <laughs> not, not ready to go there yet. <laughs> All right. Looking at Sun Valley's season pass, it debuted at $2,000 for this coming season. It's currently 2759 Another $300 get an Icon base pass, which is a nice little bonus. In the era of the $841 Epic Pass, how does Sun Valley continue to justify a pass that's three times more than that? Yeah, I think it's all about choice and having options. And I feel like, you know, people who want to come ski at Sun Valley, they have several options. So if they're only looking to ski here a handful of days, then our season's pass doesn't make the most sense for them. But what you find is the Sun Valley guest is extremely dedicated and we get more days per pass than probably any resort, certainly any that I'm aware of. And so the folks who, who do spend good money for that, you know, they have an expectation of what they're going to get in return, and that's on us to deliver that. But they're also going to make, they're going to make good use of that pass, and I think they're going to say at the end of the season it was worth it. So Sun Valley skiers love Sun Valley, it sounds like, and you know, it's far from everything, so it's not like you're just going to pop over somewhere else for the day. However, that $300 Icon Base Pass add-on is a pretty good deal, and it does give you access to Icon has a lot of late operating and early operating resorts, Snowbird or A Basin or Palisades Tahoe or Mammoth that you could pop out to. Have you heard some positive feedback from your pass holders about this option to buy up? Yes, very positive. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we have a segment of, of folks here who are only going to ski at Sun Valley. And so that that upgrade doesn't make sense. But for many, it does. They do want to make one or two trips somewhere else. And that $300 upcharge is, is you know, a great value for them. All right, Pete. Well, that does it for today. I cannot thank you enough for your time. I wish you the best of luck with your second year at Sun Valley. I am really excited to come ride this new D-Line Challenger lift next year. So good luck with that install. I'm sure it will all be seamless and, uh, and I'll look forward to meeting you out there at some point. Sounds great. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it.
That's Pete Sontag, Vice President and General Manager of Sun Valley, Idaho. Thank you, Pete. Really fun talking some Sun Valley with you. Cannot wait to check out that new Challenger lift for myself next year. Lots more pods coming your way. Booked a spring conversation this week with new Deer Valley President Todd Bennett. He joins a lineup that includes the leaders of Mount Bohemia, Romley, Monarch, Sundance, Point Resorts, Vail Mountain, Open Snow, SMI Snowmakers, Mount Spokane, Whitefish, Seven Springs, Eagle Crest, Holiday Valley, Pacific Group Resorts, Saddleback, Whitecap, Wisconsin, Breckenridge, and more. Booking more all the time. The very best way to make sure that you get those episodes the moment they are live is to visit stormskiing.com and sign up for the Storm Skiing newsletter. There are free and paid tiers of the newsletter, and paid subscribers receive podcasts three days before everyone else. You can also follow the Storm on Twitter and Instagram at Stormski Journal. Until next time, stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.